0: Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps commentator and investor, coming up with my usual weekly summary of the Stockopedia Small Cap Value Reports that myself and Graham Neary write. Graham's been um, very good this week. He's carried me on a couple of days when I was A bit subpar, I think I'm a bit exhausted actually after six weeks of just absolutely flat out seven day a week work in January, which I've really enjoyed, but we've covered far more companies this year than ever before and uh, I am starting to um, relax a little and... um, uh just just you know do a few other things and rest a bit which is good after a busy period so thank you graham for supporting me this week much appreciated so what do we look at on monday let's turn to that oh i should i think i forgot to mention the date i've been asked to mention the date so i'm recording this on sunday 12th of february 2023 sorry it's a day late but I'll always put the podcast out either on Saturday or Sunday so uh, every weekend I don't think I've missed any actually since I started them last summer so and I enjoy doing them it's good to have a recap on the week uh, and remember which shares looked most interesting and also a quick uh, synopsis on the rest so Monday what do we look at Uh, Cyan Canode Holdings C-Y-A-N now this announced a strategic framework Framework agreement and the shares spiked up to about 25p. Now, I commented briefly on this a market cap of 67 million. Now, as I always say, look, the historical track record on this company is pretty dire. Uh, you know, heavy losses over the last six years, gradually reducing. It seems to be coming towards break even from the wrong direction. Well, you know, from the right direction, I suppose, from heavy losses towards break-even is the right way round, isn't it? Uh, But it's always jam tomorrow, and i said here, oh, here they are ladling out more jam tomorrow with this framework agreement, which, of course, isn't the same as a signed contract, is it? Um, We don't know the exact terms of it, but it says it gives the company confidence in his forecasts for financial year 3 2024. So note, this skips the current financial year, and... uh, uh, I'm I'm still sceptical on Cyan. It um, it seems to be... Uh, it changed its activities a number of times. It started out as a semiconductor company that never really seemed to get anywhere. And then it morphed into something vaguely uh, related. To, it seems to be something to do with smart meters and a rollout of smart meters in India. Uh, I don't know. I mean, why would you pay £67 million market cap for something that has not proven it has a viable business model. I don't understand why people buy things like this just on the basis of it constantly saying that it's won all these big contracts. I mean, maybe it has turned a corner, I don't know. But personally, for 67 million market cap, I could buy a company that's already making repeat dependable profits every year where I don't have to involve any guesswork at all. But I suppose it's the difference between growth companies and value companies, isn't it? People are are hoping that this thing is going to become a much bigger a more profitable company down the line, despite having promised that for many, many years and never having achieved it. So I don't know. But obviously they've got a good story to tell, because it, it, as I previously reported, it has managed to top up the coffers recently with a placing, I think it was around 5 million. <clears throat> We've been warning in the Small Cap Valley reports that this thing was very low on cash, so it needed to do a placing. And it got that away without having to give away too much of a discount, which is a good sign, because that means the institutions have been told All sorts of good things are in the pipeline. That's why they back placings, because they're told stuff behind closed doors that um, is very positive. So uh, I know this because I've been involved in some placings myself over the years. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep an open mind on Cyan. But as yet, it hasn't demonstrated that it's got a viable business. And I did notice, actually, it spiked up to 25p on the framework agreement, but it ended the week. Much lower. Let me have a look. 19.5p. So the market cap's come back, come down from 67 to 53 million. But for me, it's still way too high, given we don't know that this is a viable business or not. OK, moving on. Engage XR. The ticker is EXR. This is something to do with the Metaverse. Um, I can't precisely describe what it does, but it does these uh, animated sort of computer displays which seem to be selling into universities for large uh, graphics walls or something i don't know it's something to do with that but anyway they don't make any money so uh any fool can sell a product for less than it costs to, to generate it can't they uh but anyway they got away quite a substantial placing for nine million pounds now we have pre- previously flagged in the small cap value reports we always flag if we think companies are running out of money this is one of the key Things that I think is unique about the small cap value reports on Stockopedia, we do let you know. Um, you know, if you go, if you if you put in the, the the company name, it'll come up on the discussion tab with everything we've written about it and everything that everyone else has written about it in the community uh, bulletin boards. And we always flag in the small cap value reports if something's running out of money. I always check the balance sheet. So we flag previously, you know, I wouldn't touch this Engage XR unless and until it's replenished the coffers. Well, anyway, they got this placing away. It was at a 20% discount. Uh, 4p i think given what the company's dismal performance to date i think they did very well getting it away at that level actually but again we small investors we've got the choice we don't have to buy and hold big positions in these things like institutions do we can go in and in and out at will if you're only buying 5 10 20 30 grams of the stock you can go in and out of these things and that gives us a big advantage that we can just sit on the sidelines and wait till they've got their refinancing away and then buy in the open market maybe for a little bit more than the placing but a lot less than it was probably at any point over the last uh, well cheaper than it's ever been i think i think it's hit new lows this one but i yet i remain to be convinced that exchange xr is a viable business so i'm i'm red on that one What we got next? Now, going green, HVVO, ticker HVO. I'm a recent convert to this share. I think four Stockopedia readers flagged it to me. And I actually made it a mystery share in one of my podcasts uh, two weeks ago, I think, along with BOTB. And both of those shares have done tremendously well, not because they were mystery shares, but because we spotted great value in both cases other and obvious value in both cases now with h vivo the uh what they do is they do human trials on um on uh pharmaceutical stuff i don't know the detail but they put they put people up in a in a bespoke hotel and basically give them flu or something and then see how the drugs that they've taken um respond and uh, apparently this is a very good way of of, uh, of 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 testing out treatments um, before launching full-scale expensive trials. I think that, that's a completely uninformed layman's description of what they do. I hope that's right. Anyway, um, as I say, it was actually several Socopedia readers who flagged this share to me and said, Paul, have a look at this one. We think it's interesting. And so we're sort of pooling our knowledge on it, which is great. Anyway, HVivo. Oh, and I should declare I did buy some shares myself quite recently. Um, as I say it was flagged by the readers to me not the other way round. which we we love it when that happens because we'll always you know Graham and I can't pick up on everything it looks a real turnaround HVivo historically the numbers looked awful but it's now moved into profit and it's announced another contract win it's one of these things that's really on a roll winning repeated and quite big contracts and I always look for that because when you see that happening you think okay whatever the company's doing it's it, it's found a, a a sort of purple patch where it's resonating with customers when they keep winning big contracts and you've got to distinguish that between that and the the pr type contract announcements where they don't tell you what what the contract value is and you know they they they're really just trying to generate positive news flow for the sake of it but with hvivo it's quite clear the company's be and it's coming through in the numbers now that it's reached a turning point and it's got into profitability there was quite a, an interesting webinar recently that they put out that I watched anyway um <clears throat> the, sh- the- shares have doubled in the last few months uh market caps one hundred and twenty three million now but you can actually justify that i think um because it's moved into profit uh and and now this is the interesting thing ninety five percent of the forecast revenues for twenty twenty three are already contracted, so these are proper contracts where the customers paid a cash deposit a non-refundable cash deposit up front which was questioned on the webinar i put in two questions i think it was investmeek Co- uh, company or one of those platforms which are brilliant i i love the output they're putting out there for us to look at you can't beat a an hour long video with q and a of directors talking about their company and answering questions and i think in both cases the questions are not filtered i've asked some quite searching questions on Meat company and they do get read out and answered. So it, it, that, I think, is very, very good. They're not just cherry-picking the soft questions. Anyway, um, HVivo. So, yeah, 95% of forecast revenues are fully contracted. And the CEO made it abundantly clear in the webinar that he thinks they're going to thrash the forecast numbers. And whew, I would expect them to, given that 95% of it's already contracted. So they're going to smash the forecasts, I think. And on that basis, if you build that into your numbers um the shares still i think look good value they've also got 35% of 2024's contracts in the bag um so this is looking very interesting so there's a lot more detail in in um h vivo in in my stockopedia reports so do a search for the ticker and those will all come up. Very interesting. Now, we also, one of one of the readers who likes it is David J. Hill. He's one of our regulars. Hi, David. absolutely love your input. Thank you. Now, he's given more detail on HVivo in the reader comments on Monday's report. So have a look at that. Uh, what else have we got for Monday? Oh, property franchise, TPFG. These tickers where all the letters sound the same. It's very easy to get jumbled up, isn't it? Maybe I got, I don't know, a tiny scrap of... Uh, Dyslexia or something, but TPFG is difficult to remember and say. Anyway, that put out a trading update. Graham covered that. He seemed to quite like that. As always, I don't want to put words into Graham's mouth. He's his own man. We don't necessarily agree or confer on shares. We just happen to agree on practically everything because we've got a similar value-stroke GARP um, approach. Anyway, they they say um, ahead of expectations for 2022. Obviously, these type of businesses in um sales and lettings for residential property uh, are, are probably going to see a tough year in 2023 because of the hiatus in mortgage approvals caused by the mini budget in autumn but that's already beginning to recede but given the time lag with the with, with uh, residential property from agreeing a deal to completing can be four five six months that probably means h1 2023 figures are likely to be quite soft for this sector before they start recovering. So we don't know whether to dive in now and buy them when they're cheap or wait for the disappointing H1 numbers to come in and maybe pick the shares up 10 or 20% cheaper then. Tricky one, isn't it? I don't know. Answers on a postcard as always. We're trying to predict the future and my Guesses about the future are no, are no better than anyone else's. So um, that's the reality, isn't it? If if we were able to consistently predict the future, we'd be billionaires. And I don't know about you, but I'm not. And I don't suppose if you were, you'd be listening to this. <laughs> so um, there we go. So what else? Oh, pressure technologies, P-R-E-S. Now, I covered this, uh, the uh, contract win, and it rose nice and strongly, 18% up to 46p. Market cap only 18 million. Its main subsidiary is Chesterfield Cylinders, which does seem to have a nice niche, making and maintaining these gigantic cylinders that uh, are used, particularly, I believe, in submarines for ballast and for breathing air and so on. Uh, Very specialist niche, but obviously susceptible to large lumpy orders. Should it be a listed company? No. Is too small and the profits are too uh undulate far too much, I think. It had a near-death experience last year, um, where it basically pretty much ran out of money. Um, but um it got through that, it did a, a, a small placing at 30p last year. The bank seemed to be supportive. Now, one of our readers, again, one of our excellent regulars, Planet X. Uh, he left a great comment saying he lives just up the road from pressure technologies. So he physically keeps an eye <laughs> on the company. Uh, now he flagged that he reckons the land they're sitting on, which is quite near Meadowhall, apparently the big retail complex in the Midlands. He's Is it the Midlands or is it Sheffield? I can't remember. I think it might be Shuffield. But anyway, I always get Merry Hill and Meadowhall muddled up. <laughs> so um, he reckons the land they're sitting on is probably worth uh, a lot, maybe near the market cap. So that's an interesting angle. So we need to check out the annual report and see what it's got in the tangible assets note for freehold property. I wish companies would be more um, open about making clear what freehold assets they hold and what the market value is relative to the book value. Accounting standards are rather vague on this and all too often you have freehold land just in the books at cost, which is crazy if they bought it, I don't know, in the 1930s or something. It should be revalued to market value in my in my view for transparency. But anyway, one of the many Problems we currently have with accounting standards which I think have gone horribly wrong in quite a few areas. Don't get me started on IFRS 16. I don't know. I think I've only met one person who actually thought it was good. Everyone else says it's absolutely a load of, of twaddle. But anyway, moving on. Excel Media. Uh, who looked at this? Oh, this was Graham. Uh, he's Amber on this one trading in line. Uh, now this one I think is a key type of business where it always looks cheap doesn't it but you have to ask yourself are the profits sustainable I mentioned that last week I mean, mention it frequently you can't value a company unless you know whether its profits are sustainable and I think we had a similar sort of thing with Central Nick uh, CNIC and what was the other one Oh, tremor TRMR the question with those things is: is what exactly is the business model and are the earnings sustainable I don't know again questions on our rapidly uh congesting um postcard right on to tuesday's report then uh i didn't do anything on tuesday so graham covered three companies all i think in the financial sector or well, mostly numis num uh the fund manager it's got a good reputation graham's posted some positive stuff about this for a while i think the fund management and the asset management uh, Broker type shares have, have been looking very cheap and both Graham and I can see a good argument for buying them when you've had a, a big market fall, as we had last year, of course, and um, that's when they're cheap and then you just wait for them to go up again as the cycle repeats. Although I'm, it's difficult to see the IPO market recovering any time soon, given that the brokers have pretty much killed it by floating overpriced junk in 2020 and 2021. Who's going to want to buy new issues now? After that, that's why I think being cynical, they're opening up platforms now for retail investors to buy into IPOs, probably because they haven't got any fund managers left with any uh, money or any uh, aptitude towards, not aptitude, you know what I mean, willingness to to actually buy new issues, given that they've been so comprehensively stuffed by the uh, IPOs of 2021 in particular. But anyway, uh, but Numis looks interesting, Matty Only Woods, Graham also looked at, and eBiquity. Now, I should flag up the reader comments on Tuesday. I've just had a read through them. Absolutely excellent. I want to flag up again David J. Hill, uh, but also Snazzy Time, another one of our regulars, and R. Miller-Ree, uh, all three of whom had a very, very good discussion on pension deficits. And I think they explained, actually, in in crystal clear language better than I could have done on the importance of the actuarial deficits and the accounting deficits how they might move in future and how this affects shareholder value oh there's also some good contributions from Garbutt KLB on the same topic so Tuesday's report I think is worth reading for that alone obviously as well as Graham's excellent content Um, and I I caught up the things I wanted to catch up with on Wednesday so let's move on to Wednesday next Yeah, so Wednesday, what was this, the 8th of February, this was a bit of a catch-up day. We covered lots of companies, nine in total. Uh, On a typical normal day, it's probably about five companies, but during reporting seasons, we up that to, well, it can be nine or ten. I think the peak we hit was about 14 or 15 uh, a day in January, which was insane. I mean, trying to avoid your head just turning into a huge jumble of numbers. (laughs) <laughs> is quite a challenge but it's an enjoyable challenge so uh, it's good to have peaks and troughs so i look first at sanderson design sdg now this put out a trading update the previous day now as you n- probably know this is a soft furnishings company at manufactures wallpaper and fabrics in the uk and has a huge back catalogue going back over 100 years of heritage designs over which it seems to have um control and pricing power i'm not exactly sure how The the intellectual property laws work for for fabrics and designs, but it seems to be different from from patents. But anyway, Sanderson does very well on licensing revenues from licensing out these uh, the William Morris designs in particular, very popular. Anyway, I like this company. I've liked it for a long time. I think it's cheap. Uh, it, It put out a reassuring update in line with expectations. It's on my wish list of stocks I'd like to hold if I had a bit more money, but I don't have any spare cash at the moment. But at some point I'll be, I'll be buying into this if it remains cheap. Now, there were no Outlook comments in the trading update, which I'm not particularly keen on. I think they should at least give some uh, indication of how uh, trading is currently going. Uh, I think there's obviously a chance of some demand volatility in 2023 i think it has a a, a january year end so that would be uh january 24 year end and and sanderson has previously indicated that there's a wide range of outcomes given that we don't know what the consumers are doing and colfax which is a a smaller competitor also a very interesting share i think cfx i think i mentioned that last week have said that top end furnishings and um, materials and wallpaper and so on tends to have a month a time lag Between the housing market turning down and then they'll get hit six months to a year later. So you've got that sort of hanging in the background as a bit of a like a like a like some horrible wallpaper that needs to be removed and replaced with some Morrison Co. wallpaper. (laughs) The backdrop is uncertainty for the sector. That's why the shares are cheap. So you do have to be prepared as a Sanderson or Colfax shareholder that you might get a nasty RS and a 20 or 30 <coughs> percent drop in price. That's why I think at this point in the cycle, these types of shares, maybe it's an idea to just keep a toehold in there with a, an entry level position and then keep some money back for uh, going in big uh, if and when there's a profits warning. Because, you know, profit warnings will come and go with this type of business, just like the economic cycle goes up and down so you buy into them when they're cheap don't you when they're disappointed because you've got no balance sheet worries with either colfax or sanderson design group they've both got cash in the bank really strong balance sheets um, and they've got a proven ability to get through downturns without uh, any any long-term problems so yeah i like that one i also looked at smart say (coughs) smart space software smrt uh, which is a small niche software company. It's got one big cash cow, well, one small cash cow business, and then it fun- uses the cash from that to fund a couple of more blue sky projects. I'm amber on it just because uh, it is it is still loss-making, but it says the loss won't be as bad as expected. It's got a little bit of net cash, 1.6 million, but good growth in recurring revenues. So um, <clears throat> I think you can you can look at it... Uh, you can see, I can see bulb and bear points with SmartSpace software. Uh, just to remind you, though, that the auditor uh, resigned at a strange, unusual point in time where I wouldn't have expected a change of auditor to happen. That hasn't been um, adequately explained as yet. Uh, so, so I, I think we should just bear that in mind. Next, I look at Reynolds RNO, another of my long-standing um, favourite value stroke GARP shares i'm still green on this i think it's a very good company trading ahead of expectations and forecasts have been raised by six percent by FinCap. so i think this looks good Reynolds shares still look cheap Uh, it does have a very large pension scheme to think about though which is a big drain on cash but it's managed to support that without diluting shareholders but that's the reason you don't really get anything much in dividend if anything at all in dividends so you can't just ignore pension deficits you do have to adjust for them But, yeah, so far, so good. Reynolds looks uh, a nice, nice, I think long-term, people should do well on that. So Sandar, SOS, blotted its copybook, I'm afraid, with a lot of people by doing another placing. What is going on, guys? You know, the whole point of this business was meant to be they've turned a corner and they're profitable now, which they are. They confirm trading in line, which is for about 2 million profits. But, of course, they're growing so fast, they keep having to fund inventory. And a yet another placing, four million pounds, but without getting too apoplectic about it, it's only dilution of about nine percent of the existing shareholders, and it is to drive expansion. You know, this is not cash burn; this is cash that's needed to just bulk up the orders. Um, and obviously, you know, it's very difficult for for, uh, for 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 e-commerce businesses and physical retailers because nobody's prepared to lend the money. Because the sector's been so difficult over the years, or it's difficult to to borrow money, I should say, unless you can demonstrate it's purely for seasonal peaks, which of course is how Superdry managed to get a a fundraiser away, although it was uh, at um, quite um, expensive terms for that deal. So so Sandar, sorry, shattered your eardrums there. So Sandar, yeah, I'm a bit annoyed about that, but I did try to buy shortly afterwards, but I wasn't able to. because, unfortunately, I couldn't raise... Well, I didn't want to sell anything else to raise some cash. Which is a pity, because it already bounced slightly. Now, people say, why did they have to give away such a discount when the shares were trading at 26p and they did the placing at uh, 22p? Well, I think the answer to that is probably because when the placing would have been initiated, would have been maybe a month before it's actually announced. Because They do roadshows, you know, meetings, and you'll get a call from a broker saying, oh, you have to be taken inside on a deal... They don't tell you the company until you've said yes. And then when when I wasn't inside on this particular deal, but I have been on previous ones from this company. um, And um, you can't obviously then deal or tell anybody about it. But, you know, I mean, obviously news leaks out. You know, that's the way things things work. But uh, never from me, I hasten to add. I, I take my obligations in this regard strictly, very strictly. And it really annoys me when journalists or commentators you know, divulge inside information on websites and saying, oh, look at this, look at this, you know, this company's doing a placing, we've heard whispers in the rumour and everything. They shouldn't be doing that. I think it's just wrong. The shares should be suspended, though. I think any company that's raising money, is ridiculous to have the shares continuing to trade. It's just all wrong. And the system needs reform there, I think. Well, anyway, there we go. Well, I mean, the, the gloom over the Sassandar placing quickly passed and the shares have started recovering. Uh, it's still fundamentally a very good company, I think, which is doing a remarkable thing. You know, building a brand from nothing is, is nigh on impossible, but they're succeeding. So um, price probably up with events for now. But I think long term, Sassandar should be good, SOS. ladies were online at Retail, but they're also selling now through wholesale partnerships, which is a very good good business model, I think, and not bothering with any of their own shops. What else do we look at? Graham looked at Sankos C N K S. Obviously, they're not now getting the bonanza from all the uh, Neil Woodford IPOs of a few years ago, but it's still trading around breakeven, which Graham and I both think, you know, isn't a bad position as as a platform for when the when the cycle turns positive again. Market cap's only twenty nine million, and it's uh, supported by net assets. So, yeah, quite interesting. Pisa cousins Graham looked at pennant. I had a quick look at very small, too small to be listed. I think pennant, uh, but good visibility from a twenty five million pound order book. Now I looked at Speedy High. They put out a really strange announcement here, saying um, they'd done um, they'd done an audit of their non. Individually identified physical items that they hire out. Obviously, you know, if you're hiring a digger or something, it'll have a serial number on it. that You scan it in, scan it out. Well, it turns out they had, I think it was £50 million worth of unlabeled assets. So we're looking at things like scaffolding poles there. You know, you don't individually label them, I guess. Uh, well, anyway, they they had £50 million worth on the books. Turns out £20 million of them have vanished, i.e. been stolen. So that's 40% of the unlabeled assets. I think that's an appalling lack of financial and physical control over the assets, which for an, uh, an asset hire business, to me, sorry, I have zero tolerance, that sort of thing. That just makes it uninvestable. It's a basic lack of controls. so I wouldn't touch speedy hire at all, at any price, really. Because, you know, if they don't know what equipment they've got, how can you possibly determine what profits it's got? Uh, the balance sheet's not too bad. It's got quite a lot of bank debt, but it's got much more in physical assets, assuming that they haven't lost half of that. So anyway, I don't know. I think that's just basic schoolboy errors, so not of interest to me for speedy hire. Graham looked at Ashmore, interim results, uh, emerging markets fund manager on, uh, is it what are we on now? We're on Wednesday, aren't we? Yes, yeah, so that was Wednesday. Now Thursday the 9th, this is another very quiet day, um, Graham looked at S&U, this we quite like, it's a specialist lender, a uh, trading update for 31st of January, um, seems to be a mixture of sort of subprime car lending and bridging finance for properties, um, but it's family run, family controlled with conservative accounting, I think uh, we both think this looks quite interesting. And then, oh, God, <laughs> Argo bloody blockchain, ARB. I cringe every time I see this. Uh, Bitcoin miner. Obviously, it's had a, had a revival because the price of Bitcoin uh, did one of these weird spikes up. Seems to be now starting to sell off again. Um, Graham and I don't rate this, but, it. you know, we wrote its obituary a bit too soon. Now, what I did on Thursday, I actually did a company visit. So, um I haven't done one of those for a long time. So I, if I, I turn up at a company, I always like to come uh, well-researched and have all the facts and figures in my head. So that I could, I had a good chat with the CFO. Apparently, I wasn't meant to write anything about it. This was just a get to know you meeting. But I did uh, a little write-up on it on Friday. Um, you know, nothing inside was revealed to me. And I was just basing my numbers on the last trading update. So I can't see why it would be a problem. But anyway, apparently it was. So I'm sorry if I... Uh, the gun went off half cocked on that one. But anyway, uh, so that was Thursday's report. Uh, why isn't that? Oh, it is recording. Right, Friday. Um, now, hardly any news at all. The manic year-end reports have now dried up from a flood to a uh, barely a trickle. And there was literally nothing on, on Friday for me to look at, which was great because I had some backlog items to look at. So I wrote up my uh, company visit to. Oh, I didn't mention which company it was. It was Tortilla. The ticker MEX. This is the, the quite rapid rollout of Mexican themed uh, fast casual dining uh, restaurants. Nice product. I've mystery shopped it. have written about it quite a bit, actually, in last year's Small Cap Valley Reports with my mystery shop visits. And yeah, I like the product. Healthy-ish. Um, tortilla, of course, just mainly rice, meat. Um, some vegetables and a bit of salad and so on and you choose what you want you can say no to the sour cream and the cheese if you want it to be a bit healthier and so on and it's it's a nice quite filling hot meal um, from about £6.95 which I think is quite good so the product uh, gets a tick in the box from me. It's value for money and so on and tasty. So um, yeah, I met their, their CFO great guy Very interesting meeting just mainly doing Q&A because I've normally turned up with, with all the facts and figures in my head as I say And ah, oh, what a pleasure to actually get out of the office and meet real people and go to their office So Tortilla only has a very small head office um, in a first-floor converted building in um, Fitzrovia in central London so I popped a very near Oxford Circus, so I popped in to see the Boom Battle Bar in Oxford Circus, which is nearby as well. Ah, well, oh, bloody hell, that place is heaving. Um, I went to, I've been there twice, um, to the Boom Battle Bar, and uh, it's a big site, subterranean sort of a pared back industrial type fit out, almost looks like a, a bit like a film set or something. And uh, yeah, the first time I went, it was on about four o'clock on a Monday afternoon. So I thought they'll be quiet. What? How wrong was I? The place was buzzing, full of people in what looked like organised groups. So I think that Boom Battle Bars is doing well from organised work events and deferred Christmas parties. Um, the ticket is XPF. Because Boom Battle Bar as part of XP Factory. Talk in my own book there, because I do have, I think it's my second largest holding in XP Factory. So I, I think experiential leisure is a good subsector, and things are very, very cheap, because everyone hates bars at the moment, for obvious reasons. It's very difficult to make money from running bars, so you need to have something different, and I think um, XP Factory does, so I quite like that one. Uh, why did I mention that? Oh, yeah, so that was Tortilla. That was my company visit, Tortilla. The only other company I looked at on Friday was Zytronic, interesting little value share where you're getting the company for practically nothing. The cash bar, the excess working capital, is close to the market cap. That's why the shares have attracted some uh, deep value specialist microcap investors. And I think they're onto something. The only thing is it's still suffering uh, very badly from supply chain issues. So it does seem to be that companies that require raw materials, particularly chip based you know computer chip semiconductor type supplies are still finding them difficult to get hold of. And Zytronic, that is still a current issue for electronics companies, it seems. And being very small, I imagine that a company like Zytronic isn't top of the list for the manufacturers of those components. Uh, And it says it's having to buy on the grey market at higher prices to get hold of some supplies. And it mentioned it's even having having to cannibalise finished goods of its own to extract the raw materials to use on other products which sounds a bit desperate to me and that to me says that could be quite costly and would involve a lot of extra labor I would imagine so I wasn't entirely happy with that and their order intake is flatlining at quite a low level but the interesting thing is with Zitronic it does have a bulging pipeline of opportunities which obviously won't all turn into contracts and it is still struggling to get the supplies in but it's bumping along at around break even even with all these supply chain problems. So I could see Zytronic doing quite well in the future actually once they resolve those difficulties. It looks primed to do well I think Zytronic. So I think it's worth considering doing your own research if you're a specialist in in these illiquid microcaps. Uh, where you often have to be quite patient and just tie the money up for several years before some liquidity event actually happens. Um, but I think Zitron, is quite an interesting one for, for specialist investors who know what they're doing. OK, sorry, that was all a bit rambling, wasn't it? But um, never mind, just uh, some macro and market news and views. Not really much this week um, in the news that I picked up on. They're now saying the UK to avoid a recession. This is apparently from N-I-E-S-R, NISA. Um, And they're more bullish than the Bank of England and the IMF, I've written down here. I think the main thing on that is, I think it's because the GDP numbers came out at flatline, 0.0%, instead of being, you know, minus 0.1 or minus 0.2. And of course, the headlines would have been, now, UK avoids recession. Whereas it would have been, UK going into recession. You know the, the point is we're getting our information from journalists, most of whom are not qualified or experienced in finance. Uh, I've probably t- t- told you this lots of times before. But when I met a journalist years ago from one of the big broadsheets, you know, I said, "Oh, what training do you do?" And blah, blah, blah. He said, "Nothing. We just pick it up as we go along." So you've got to remember that. The, and I think this has recently arisen as an internal matter at the BBC that actually the people on the news telling us about the economy know all about the economy. And this really isn't a very good state of affairs. And it's so judgmental, a lot of it anyway, that you can get 10 economists in a room and get about 25 different opinions. And we shouldn't give these people making forecasts any credibility at all including the Bank of England. I mean, they were saying just a, a couple of months ago that we were entering a long and deep recession. They're now saying it's going to be short and mild. So they, nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to forecasting. And, you know, we shouldn't hinge on on forecast. including me. You know, I don't think that I'm any cleverer or any worse than anyone else. Nobody knows. I think often just common sense people who look around them and say, this doesn't really feel like a recession, are probably... Um, closer to the mark than all these people with spreadsheets that give them the results they unconscious bias means that they'll end up getting from their models um so yeah but anyway look broadly it seems the economic position is not going to be as bad as we feared so that obviously does justify a, a decent rebound in shares doesn't it and also the other fact we know inflation is now starting to drop everyone's now expecting it to drop fast because of raw materials prices levelling off or even coming down. The companies that are reporting to us are telling us, actually, you know, the squeeze on input prices for materials is now moderating and some are even dropping in price now. So we do seem to be over the worst of this inflation thing, although you've got a big jump in wages coming from 1st of April this year, of course, which um, should be in everybody's forecasts. But I think which company was it last week who said that uh, it wasn't... You know, they're going to have to put in uh, extra because they're having to pay the staff more than they expected, which is, to me, just seems like bad budgeting. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so macro picture doesn't look as bad as it it did. There was also some interesting news on consumer spending. I forget where this came from, Um, but it, it was just a press report I picked up where they said that it looks like consumer budgets are being ring fenced for holidays and socializing. Now, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the investment markets assumed those would be areas that would be cut because they're discretionary. But I think because people haven't had holidays or not the holidays they perhaps wanted during the pandemic, they're now saying, well, you know, in 2023, we're going to go throw throw caution to the wind, maybe put it on a credit card, maybe use our pandemic savings But we're having a holiday. And that has fueled, obviously, a big rebound, big recovery in holiday shares. I mean, we've commented several times on on the beach. We thought it was very cheap when it hit 95p uh, in the autumn. We thought it was expensive when it got to £1.90 recently. I mean, doubling in a short space of time, I think, is too much. I think we're seeing quite a lot of these companies having explosive rebounds. But you've got to remember a lot of the people driving those prices will be momentum traders who'll be on a tight trailing stop loss and as soon as it starts to peak they're out they bank their money so just because something's gone up a lot in price doesn't mean to say it's going to hold that level very often i think you've got to be careful buying into shares with positive momentum and i've mentioned this lots of times before forming nice chart patterns now but they often retrace quite a bit don't they so I have noticed quite a few of the holiday shares I've been following are now just too expensive for me. So I've taken them off my intended buy list. So on the beach was one of them I did want to buy into, but it just went too high. It's come back down a fair bit now to about £1.60. Um, it's still too much for me, So, but I'll keep it on, on my watch list. And the socialising sector, as I say, that's so bombed out now, hospitality shares. That's where I've actually been buying. Because I do think um, the operators who've got who are generating decent cash flows can ride out any any tough patch, and they've got seventy five eighty percent gross margins. Remember, so as soon as consumers start getting out and about a bit more again, which I think they're likely to, because you've got full employment. You know, this is not a normal recession where you normally have big increases in in unemployment. That hasn't happened. The UK is really seriously short of labour and people are getting decent pay rises. The target audience, which are generally younger people going to to bars, are getting um, decent increases in their income, probably have less exposure to higher energy costs as well. So for that reason, I've taken a risky purchase i might have mentioned this before but i can't remember into my old favorite revolution bars rbg purely on the basis that i think the valuation now is too cheap it's not the best business i don't want to hold it forever but i was able to get in at 6p i think i paid up to six and a half p um with with an intended exit price of about 20p which was the level of the last two fundraisers i think that's achievable that figure uh if trading is okay and the big if if they don't get into problems with their uh bank funding which for some bizarre reason they decided to uh do a debt-fueled acquisition of peach pubs but my angle on it is that if the bank gets jittery rbg can just say to them well look we'll put we'll put peach pubs back up for sale and even if they sell it for say 15 million or 12 million i think they paid 18 million for it it's still effectively a separate business which is a realizable asset So for that reason, I'm hopeful uh, Revolution Bars can avoid doing another disastrous uh, discounted placing. But I can't rule it out. And I know what the risk is. And I'm prepared to take that risk. And I've position sized it so it won't kill me if, for example, the share price halves. They do a placing at, I don't know what, 2p or something or 3p. You know, that would be the worst case scenario, wouldn't it? Which is what happened in the past um, when they did a, a deep discount. I think, of about 50% for one of the two previous fundraisings, which is why I found it absolutely uh, mystifying as to why the CEO that scra- dragged the company through that debt restructuring has now himself gone out and loaded it up with debt again. <sighs> Bizarre. But anyway, there we go. They've done it now, and the shares have sold off because obviously people don't like the increased risk. But, you know, there comes a point where these things are very cheap, and I think Revolution Bar's... There are several ifs on it, so it is risky, but I think at 6p, I'm probably going to do quite well on that. And it has bounced a bit in the last few days, last week, so that's encouraging, but we'll see. As I say, I'm prepared for a 50% loss on that if they have to do a discounted placing. That's why you know, the upside is in so cheap, because you've got big potential risk. So, yeah, I do think um, the socialising sector is a sector worth looking at again. 4 companies they've got some point of difference it's incredibly difficult to make money from that sector right now uh, pubs and bars and so on but the good operators companies like loungers maybe jd weatherspoon um, some of the others have got lots of freehold assets some of the bigger pub groups um, this could be an interesting time to have a look at those because consumers you know do seem to be prioritizing socializing christmas generally seemed to go better than expected for both retail and hospitality and the sector's totally bombed out isn't it and that's where you know where sentiment turns at some point i see nightcap another small bars group has had quite a decent bounce from the lows you know you look at the charts and they're they're terrible but you know when you buy these things at all near the bottom you can get big percentage increases on a on a on what looks only a blip in the chart, you know, an 80 or 100 percent gain can be had from some of these things if you buy them at the right point. And it's quite, quite uh, exciting when you get that sort of upside potential, I think. So that's probably my main area that I'm looking at at the moment. I think in, in other respects, the small caps market, I think, is looking like it's really overshooting and overheating a bit with some of these rebounds from the October lows now looking stretched and i think we are seeing evidence now of profit taking so i think we've got to be a bit careful not to get into a euphoric state of mind after several months of strong recoveries we're all doing well i'm starting to see people putting up their portfolios on twitter saying how well they're doing that's great you know well done to anyone who's had the balls to ride out this nasty bear market uh it can be done can't it and i must say my own portfolio is doing tremendously well this year in percentage terms in money terms it's not uh you know i've 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 i think i might have mentioned before i lost about two million quid last year and i uh, you know i've basically just accepted that that money's gone but even uh, because most of the losses were in leveraged accounts so i bit the bullet and, and just closed those leveraged accounts i don't want the stress of it going forward so um you know, that's just the way it is, isn't it? I was just a temp- temporary custodian of the millions and somebody else is enjoying it now, but it doesn't really matter to me. Money It's only money. And uh, I, I'm rebuilding the non-gib part of my portfolio very, very well so far this year. The SIP is up uh, tremendously because of that bid for, for Seraphine. And then I recycled most of that money into BOTB, which has gone up, uh, I think, about 70% now. And it's still cheap. That's the thing. I mean, BOTB was just a no brainer when it was four quid. And that announcement came out, which is why I I prioritised it on my stock of beauty report that day. And I think I got the section out by about five past eight that morning just saying, look, this is this BOTB is completely the wrong price. Uh, And it's obvious it's there hiding in plain sight that four pound was was an absurd price, given that they've just put out decent interim numbers. Anyway, it's it's gone up to nearly seven quid now and it's still cheap. So I, I haven't sold any. I just carried on buying with that one. It's my biggest position now. Um, I think what the, what I like about BOTB now is it's stabilized from all the boom and bust of the pandemic period. So you can now see where the structural growth is, which isn't bad. Uh, management did running a tight ship there. Their marketing costs have come down. So customer acquisition is now viable. Um, they've tweaked the competitions as well to make them more profitable. So that's really good. Uh, it's just a nice, well-run little company, and, you know, we're looking at the future, not the past, uh, which is what I said a couple of weeks ago when I reported on it. I think it had jumped up to about £4.20, £4.30 at the time uh, that I published that report, but it carried on up to, six. End of last week, at £6.90. And as I say, it's only on a forward P now, about 12 or 13 and it's got cash in the bank, plus... The the wild card with BOTB is this big shareholding, strategic stake taken on by GIL, which is a company controlled by Teddy Saggy, the um, the well known billionaire, who's not in this for to muck about. You know, he wants to scale it up and roll it out internationally. Um, possibly he might decide. It all seems amicable at the moment, although there isn't a, a formal agreement as yet with him uh, and and BOTB. But you know, you could get a. A situation where maybe Teddy Saggy's lot say, look, we want to run faster with this. We want to change the management and we'll just buy the whole company. So I think the chance of a takeover bid at BOTB is looking quite good, actually, from Teddy Saggy's operation. So that would give short-term upside maybe not well not long-term upside but the long-term upside upside and the short-term upside it's all in for free so that's why i'm i really like botb i'm not selling below about 10 quid a share so i'm happy to run with it and even then i'd probably only top slice so um yeah very very pleased with that one of that's driving nice returns in my sip and basically everything i bought in january with my seraphine money has gone up about 20 or 30 percent so i don't think that's my stop picking genius at all i think it's just luck it's just we're in a bull market right now um whether they hold those gains i don't know we'll just have to wait and see so but anyway i'm only buying stuff that i think has good long term upside i have as as usual i have absolutely no idea what the markets will do in the short term uh, although i'm generally feeling a little bit more cautious now feels to me like this relief rebound rally has maybe run a bit too far in the short term I don't know but anyway as always time will tell and uh, I'm glad to see both myself and listeners and readers uh, making some of our losses back from last year well actually my sip I've made all of the losses back from last year which uh, and I'm actually now uh, which is incredible given the the losses were pretty uh, hideous uh only a month or two ago. But anyway, a lot of that was luck with the seraphine bid. So just shows, doesn't it? Sometimes you just need to be in the right place at the right time and get lucky. <laughs> so and not lose too much money in between the instances of getting lucky, I suppose. But as as always, as I always say, I'm an enthusiastic commentator. I'm not a stock picking guru. I I just enjoy the process and I like sharing ideas with you and I like hearing your ideas. And um as I say, sometimes we get lucky, which is is good and we certainly could do with a bit of that after last year's uh, mess in small caps all right i'm ramb- rambling now arguably been rambling for the last 47 minutes <laughs> so I'll, I'll 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 wrap it up there and uh, thank you as always for your comments feedback and for, for those of you who subscribe to stockopedia we very much appreciate it all right bye for now or rather bye